0: Welcome to episode 25 of the Self-Care 101 podcast with your host Pooja K. McClymon, helping people achieve their full potential with effective self-care through wellbeing coaching. Thank you so much for listening today. On this episode, I interview a lady that I am very humbled to also have the privilege of working with. Dr. Deepa Apte is a renowned Ayurvedic practitioner and MD. Her spa, Ayurveda Pura, is where she treats clients with traditional healing practices and hosts a number of Ayurvedic courses for therapists and practitioners. Ayurveda is the ancient Indian holistic medical system. It's based on achieving physical and mental harmony with nature, which has been practiced for more than 5,000 years. Ayurveda means science of life. Ayu meaning life and Veda meaning science and was first recorded in the Vedas, the world's oldest surviving literature. Now, as an Indian, I grew up with Ayurvedic principles, just being a way of life. No one ever announced that anything we were doing was Ayurvedic, but I remember seeing my dad practice yoga just by doing stretches. I thought nothing of it, but it was yoga. I remember my mum saying never to eat fish with dairy and how certain dishes like saag can only be made during the season that it grows. Plus, I can't tell you the number of turmeric milks that I had to drink when I was sick. Believe me, I've said it before in another podcast. Turmeric latte, turmeric milk, it's like Benelin for us. Now, as my practice has grown and developed, I've realized that without even knowing it, I have been incorporating Ayurvedic principles of balance and holistic views to my techniques. Always looking to work on a client's goals by reviewing their whole life. So when I met Deepa, we chatted for hours and she endorsed to me herself that so much of what I was saying about my coaching practice was Ayurvedic. I hope this podcast enlightens you on Ayurveda, the truth about yoga and how you can bring some of these principles into your own life. So let's get to it. I am so excited to be doing this interview, finally, with Dr. Deepa Apte. We met last year, right, in the, around the summertime, sort of, into autumn. And it was such an honour to meet her. And we spent a good hour, didn't we, on our first meeting, just talking about everything Ayurvedic and coaching. And it was a real moment for me when you said that, my God, so much of what you're saying is so Ayurvedic, and we were sort of laughing about it. It was wonderful. And I think a lot of our thought processes are quite similar similar in terms of well-being and and how people can you know live their lives better and through balance and all those wonderful things which you're going to talk about and I wanted I talk about Ayurveda in some of my podcasts and in some of the work that I do with clients but I feel that it's a lot better because I'm not a practitioner that you know somebody like yourself who does this day in day out and has been doing it for so long can share with the listeners exactly what ayurveda is and how most importantly you can incorporate it into modern living because i think there's a lot of misconception with ayurveda that you have to have all these herbs and you have to be vegetarian and you have to do this and you have to do that when actually in reality there are adjustments as part of the philosophy that you can make so Enough of me. <laughs> Dr. Deepu, if you'd like to introduce yourself and then tell the listeners what Ayurveda really is. Thanks a lot, first of all, for having me here on this podcast. Uh, as Puja was just
1: saying, yes, um, I am an Ayurvedic practitioner. My background is actually in medicine. So for, I first qualified as a medical doctor. Then I studied Ayurveda and then I studied yoga. So there used to be a time when I used to uh, combine all the three systems in my practice. Mm -hmm. But then ever since I moved to London, I started my own work. I have been focusing on Ayurveda and yoga. And as you rightly said, the last time that we met, and time does fly, (laughs) uh, quite a few months ago, uh, when we first met and we started chatting about the kind of work that you do and what I do, it was... So nice to see that a lot of things that we do are so similar. Mm. And that is how, you know, that that whole, if you want to call it the partnership started between you and me saying, okay, let's do things together. Yeah, And that is how now here we are recording our first podcast together. And today it's more about Ayurveda and probably a little bit about yoga too. Yes. But focusing more on Ayurveda. Yeah. And of course, um, every time I go out there, meet new people or talk about Ayurveda to people, Many of them, I would say probably 95% of the people do say, Oh, yes, I have heard of Ayurveda, mm-hmm. but I don't really know what it is. So, in today's podcast, I'm hoping that you know I'm able to give that information across to be able to make Ayurveda a bit more simple, but more importantly, practical. Mm-hmm. As of course, you know, Puja, as you already know, because you come from that background, but for this, this is for the listeners. Many of you may have heard that whenever we talk about Ayurveda, we always say, Ayurveda is the ancient holistic system from India, which is approximately three or 4,000 years old. But then whenever I talk about it to people, I always say that just because we say 3,000 years old, it does not mean that 3,000 years ago, one morning, one human being woke up saying, let me create Ayurveda. That is not what Ayurveda is. As the word itself goes, the first part of the word Ayu meaning uh, life and Veda meaning science. And hence, when put together, it's science of life or knowledge of life, wisdom of life. Mm -hmm. And hence, from that point of view, one way of looking into Ayurveda is that as long as life has been around, this particular science or system has been around. So it's not just 3000 years old. It is much, much older than that. Mm -hmm. Because once again, what we have to remember is now when I say life, even for me to live, I need, you know, these so-called non-living elements, but essential elements like space or fire, water. And without these, I can't live. That means these elements become a part of my life. Mm. And hence, we believe that, you know, elements like space, air, they have been there for a very, very long time. So from that point of view, we believe that Ayurveda does not have an age. You know, we can't put a time limit to it. Mm -hmm. And same thing, on the other hand, when we say that it is the ancient holistic system from India. Of course, it is an Indian system of medicine, but it doesn't mean that it is only Indians who can practice it. Mm-hmm. As the word goes, you know, science of life. That means wherever there is life, this particular science or system exists, mm-hmm. meaning out there in India, out here in the UK. Because the way Ayurveda is, science of life and life is around us. That means it is that nature around us. And what Ayurveda says is that whatever we are, we are nothing but a reflection or result of that environment around us. So we're always looking into the environment on the outside and then assessing, you know, how that may be affecting us on the inside.
0: Yeah. That's so, interesting because when you talk about environment, I use a tool in my coaching practice mm-hmm. called the well-being wheel. And there are 12 basically areas of your life within that. So detoxing, physical, mm-hmm. food, uh, emotions, integrity, spirituality, and environment is one of those. And it's one of those that when I'm talking to clients, it's like, you know, you have your own space and you've got your workplace, but if you need more you know uh daylights you know that that's what sort of invigorates you then working in a corporate office block with concrete all around you and you're literally back on back to back of buildings to say somewhere like canary wharf you're not stimulating your environment to suit you and your needs and so when you're looking for a job for instance when i'm talking to clients you've got to look at where that office space is and all those things i just thought sorry (laughs) it was just something that just sparked me when you said absolutely correct because you know whenever
1: whenever i'm teaching i'm always telling people that you know whenever it's cold out there mm. we feel cold yes. whenever it's hot out there we feel hot it's just not a natural environment but our own if you want to call it you know like developed environment mm-hmm. and the best example I can give is let's say if you have got a group of teenagers playing out there but you know they're laughing they're having fun you look at them you laugh but you feel safe it's yes. oh you know they're there but the same group of teenagers if they start yelling shouting you know kicking each other or anything like that likewise we feel a bit restless and a bit unsafe
0: right so that is
1: how that environment always affects us Mm.
0: so like when people are sort of if they come into work and they're quite stressy or or frantic and you're not but then all of a sudden because their energy has filled the room I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about energy exchange they come in and then you absorb almost their their franticness don't you when you're actually fine to begin with we do right yeah
1: Yeah. absolutely yeah so that is and having said that you know that is one thing that Ayurveda really stress is on mm-hmm. is the environment wow. no environment at home environment at the office or even when you're going out meeting friends all of that affects us so one of the main principles in terms of you know therapy or practice in ayurveda is just not about looking into the individual for who they are but also assessing what the environment around them is wow. so based on that then we're looking into you know what illnesses conditions or how we can correct them mm-hmm. so yeah so I'm sure we could talk about environment. Oh, we so good. <laughs> <about>. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so that is one of the important things in Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, you know, as many people may have heard, in Ayurveda we do talk about body types and constitutions. Mm-hmm. But again, when we talk about body types, I'm sure people may have heard, there are three main body types. The first one is called Vata. So when we say Vata, it literally means air. And hence, such people, just the way air moves, Such people also, they're very restless, they're active, they think a lot, likewise, they're very creative. But also to remember that, you know, when that air becomes a bit more uh, kind of, you know, strong or moves a lot, that means it becomes a bit chaotic or irregular. Mm -hmm. Likewise, that means such people may also have that attitude towards, you know, like irregular lifestyle or their food habits or everyday routine may be a bit irregular. So that is what, you know, a Vata body type is. The second one, we say Pitta. So the moment we use the term Pitta, it means heat or fire. And just the way fire has got the quality of being more penetrating, more sharp. Likewise, such people also, they're very kind of, you know, they're focused, they're determined, they know exactly what they want in life. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, of course, you know, fire is hot. That means such people may also then have tendencies towards feeling hot or sweating or tendency towards becoming a bit more irritable, angry. So that is, you know, some example about pitta related body type. Mm-hmm. And the third one, that is called Kapha. And Kapha actually is a combination of water and earth. Now, when we say water, you will see that water has got the quality of being soft, gentle and flowing. Like with such people, also they are more adapting; They just go with the flow. But kapha also has earth and earth is heavy. So that also then gives them the quality of being more patient and stable. You know, so we are looking to such qualities. But what Ayurveda says is that you're not just one body type or one energy. You can be a combination of one, two or all three put together.
0: I was going to ask you about that because... In sort of modern times where people are taking on Ayurvedic practices and, you know, you can see Ayurvedic practitioners around quite a bit now online, they, they always tend to do the dosha test and, you know, define your dosha. Yeah, they say discover
1: your dosha. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: within 30 seconds and obviously you and I know there is so much more to defining that and it's not absolute yeah. and it's dynamic and it depends on what's happening with that person at the at the okay. time and yeah. it could change and there's just so much involved, isn't it? So how do you, so when a client comes to you, for instance, is it the dosha that you look at first? What, what are the first few steps?
1: Um, see, uh, when you're talking about dosha, again, remember the term dosha in ayurveda literally means fault or a mistake. Mm-hmm. So there is a big difference between a body type and dosha. Oh. So you know when you're saying you know they do all these questions when they're saying discover your dosha that yeah. is actually wrong because you can't discover a person's fault. You know each individual is unique.
0: Oh, wow. okay. So you're
1: looking into that person's qualities. You know like uh-huh. okay, find out what are their hobbies, what their their likes, dislikes, and not necessarily looking for their negative qualities Mm -hmm. or Mm faults. So that is one thing, as you said, you know, you find all these dosha questionnaires online. But then again, now when we use the term dosha through that, it may also mean whatever illness or imbalance that they may have nowadays. Mm -hmm. So yes, you know, that is what you're looking to assess, what that might be. But of course, you know, when someone comes for a consultation... um, People come for many different reasons. It might just be to help you know maintain health mm-hmm. or they might have some illness disease or let's say, natural phases of life. you know, so someone is looking to get pregnant or during pregnancy or postnatal phase, you know, so there are some healthy kind of happy times also when people come. Mm-hmm. But then throughout one of the main things that we are always looking to do is find out a person's body type or constitution. Now when we say body type or constitution, Again, one thing that everyone should remember is that each person just doesn't have one body type. They have two different body constitutions, meaning the first one is the one that they are born with. So mm-hmm. they we call it the basic body type. And the best way of looking into it is like it's like your DNA imprint. It's your identity, meaning you know, it will always be with you and it won't change. But the other body type of constitution is for what we are nowadays. We believe that whatever that we are nowadays is a result of all the influences around us, you know. It can be family, friends, work, travel, weather, you know, things that are happening. Mm -hmm. And the best way of comparing your basic body type and your today's constitution, your basic body type is like a solid hard surface, you know, it won't move, it won't change, Mm -hmm. it's there. Mm -hmm. It can be metal, it can be wooden, it can be steel. But your today's constitution is more like a layer of dust on the solid hard surface, and the aim is to wipe away that layer of dust.
0: So how do you define what the person's basic body type is? What do you do?
1: Um, in simple words, we say that you know, things that people love to do okay. is a part of the basic body type. Okay. But then things that people end up doing or they have to do mm-hmm. is the imbalance. You know, that's an yeah. easy way of putting it across. But... When people come to me, then uh, the best way of finding out a person's basic body type is by checking their pulse. Because mm-hmm. we believe that whenever people are giving answers or talking about things, they're talking about it from the point of view that uh, what they think they are.
0: Okay, so they're but, sort of in their mind as opposed uh, yeah. to sort of yeah. talking from the heart. And I think this is something that we talk about as a culture, about you know being in your head or yeah, your yeah. heart. This is what leading from your heart really yeah. means, right? Yeah.
1: And but yeah, but we say that you know once it is only when you check the pulse because the pulse does not lie. It's like you know if the blood pressure is high, it will be high even though I'm saying it's low. You know, mm-hmm. meaning it's two different mm-hmm. two different ways of looking into it. So what I do is I ask them a lot of questions in the beginning, everything to do with their presenting symptoms, complaints. But then one thing that is different in Ayurveda compared to any other science is that in Ayurveda we are also looking to discover their our actual self, their unique constitution. Oh, wow, okay. Any other science, people always go saying, yes, I've got a lower back problem, I've got a headache, I've got insomnia. So all that they're looking to do is find out causes for that. But in Ayurveda, we're also asking questions like, okay, fine, so what are your hobbies? You know, what Mm -hmm. kind of foods do you like to eat? So if you had some free times, what would you love to do? So we are assessing that person as a whole Mm -hmm. rather than just illnesses or diseases Mm -hmm. so of course we do ask a lot of questions but then classically we do like pulse diagnosis, tongue diagnosis so based on all this information put together we get to know what their basic body type is or what their today's constitution is through in Ayurveda, through Pulse, we also get to know about the different phases of life. You know, so a lot right. that
0: we get to know. Okay. That's interesting that you were talking about the imbalances, learning about those. And in in when people do sort of go to the doctor or something, and they talk about lower back pain, it tends to be that the symptoms are being covered up. So there might be a, a heat patch given or mm-hmm. uh, some tablets to alleviate pain, discomfort, etc. And something that of something that I use in my coaching practice when I'm speaking with a client is to get to the root of the problem. I'm not a counselor, so I don't dwell there. But if I can have, the, if we can identify where the root of an issue is, so like self-confidence issues, um, stress, you know, the uh, the overachieving that people having them, if we can find out where this all comes from, it's a lot easier then to have that as a reference point to move them forward. And this was sort of something that when we were talking, when we met, we were talking about and really connected because Ayurveda goes to, and obviously, you know, you you, you explain it better than me, but it goes to the root, the source of the Problem, the imbalance, if you like, and then looks to treat it that way. So it's not always obvious the treatment process that's going to occur. Yeah. But because you're looking, you know, I read. Am I? Am I right? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, if you remember, you know, then when we first met, I also gave an example that let's say if someone came with a headache, mm-hmm. just because they come with a headache, I'm not just going to say, okay, fine. Even Ayurvedically saying, oh, yeah, go ahead, have ginger, lemon tea or eat khichdi or whatever. We are actually once again looking into the quality of the headache, you know, how the headache is. Mm -hmm. But again, cause. Some people may say, yes, I get a headache when it is too windy, dry, cold. But others say, oh, no, I get migraines when it's really hot and humid. Mm -hmm. But others say when it is raining, you know, wet and kind of damp, I get headaches. That means the cause is Mm -hmm. different. So based on that, then even the plan or the approach changes it's so just not about giving an aspirin or, you know, again, Ayurvedic is just not about saying ginger, lemon tea to all the three. Right. Because of gingers to heating, that means if someone with that, you know... Uh, cause of being, you know, like hot and damp headaches, mm-hmm. it'll make it worse. So you're always going back to the cause.
0: This is, this is, I mean, this is more of like giving an example, but um, I've noticed that a lot of my clients, when they get their time of the month, mm-hmm. they tend to, a certain age group tends to get headaches that I don't get headaches yet, but I recently started having migraines and it's, it t- tends to be during that time of the month. Now, I, obviously, you're the expert, but I I would have thought it's because there's there's extra heat in the body because of...
1: Yeah, know that's it. You see, when there is a cause, as I said earlier, you know, when it is hot out there, yeah. you will feel hot on the right. inside. When it is cold out there, you will feel cold on the inside. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, the heat may be generated from inside too, mm-hmm. but ultimately we are looking on the outside. Okay. Because now when we're talking about uh, environment on the outside, just not natural environment, but it can be work, it can be stress, you know. It can be anything. It's even something I know it's going on at the moment everywhere where people are talking about the coronavirus and stuff yes. like that. You know, even though we are not affected here, but back of our mind we are still stressed. Right. You know, it's like yeah. everyone's thinking, okay, fine, holidays are coming up. Do we travel? We don't travel. Mm. You know, so all of that true leads to that cause from inside, and you start thinking about so many different things. The heat starts increasing. Right. So so yeah, you know. That external cause will affect that internal cause, uh-huh. and that internal cause will lead to that symptom or problem.
0: Okay, so what do what do clients usually come to you for? Mm-hmm. Are they coming for specific reasons or general?
1: Yeah. So uh, my kind of clients, they're quite varied. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. Quite a lot. Literally, even f- uh, from the point of view of age, I get newborn babies as clients. Uh, and so, like, you know, clients who are like 80, 85, 90, you know, so there's mm-hmm. a big kind of, you know, age variation. But even in terms of presentation, so it might be any medical conditions, probably, like, you know, eczema or diabetes or under or overactive thyroid or, you know, autoimmune conditions or... Or as I said, you know, happy times. So someone's looking to get pregnant, so they want to do like a cleanse or detox, mm-hmm. like preparing for the next phase, or during pregnancy or postnatal phase. Or I get uh, postnatal phase uh, clientele, meaning you know, mother and child, baby, where I'm showing the mother how to do, and I newborn I you know hot or baby massage. Mm-hmm. So the clientele is quite varied, mm-hmm. but of course. Uh, predominantly, I do get clients with more, you know, like medical conditions and illnesses.
0: So have they already gone to their doctors and now they're seeking additional support or are they already supporters of Ayurveda and its principles? It's
1: actually a mix of both. Okay. Because a lot of uh, people may have been to the doctors, they've tried everything, nothing has worked, then they say, I've heard that Ayurveda works. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand... Uh, because I've done a consultation for this one client and it has really worked, so they might go and talk about it to someone else. So this other person may have observed, you know, let's say symptoms of IBS, so they may not go to the doctor's first, mm-hmm. but they'll come here saying, but I've heard that Ayurveda really helps. So it's a big kind of, you know, it's a mix of everything. And one thing sometimes does also happen is that, you know, of course, the client will come in the beginning, they'll come for a few follow-ups, then they completely disappear. Right. for two years three years but then they come back again after two years because <laughs> something else has come up so such times those clients usually say no i have not gone to the gp but i've come to you because mm-hmm. last time things really helped i'm hoping it'll help yeah so there's a big mix of you know like they might have either tried general uh, like allopathy medication nothing has worked all the other mm-hmm.
0: too. but i mean it's interesting that you say that they'll go away for a few years and then come back again because that's sort of where this is where our link comes into play that we've, we were sort of looking at is that the coaching process prepares you for change because essentially, when you're coming to an Ayurvedic doctor to talk about your ailments, etc., the plan, the prescription, if you like, that's given to you is going to inflict upon lifestyle changes, and some of those can be quite extreme if you're not used to, you know, like for us being vegetarian is very easy because we sort of grow up eating more vegetarian food than we do meat but somebody who's always eaten meat and say part of your prescription was adjustments in the diet it can be quite overwhelming and not and that then stresses them out. So then that sort of perpetuates the problem as well, right?
1: Uh, see, one thing that we do say in Ayurveda, that everything that you look out there is Ayurvedic. Mm-hmm. So if someone has been used to eating meat all their life, I would never, even if needed, I would never say you have to become vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Because in Ayurveda, we believe that if the body's used to something, if you suddenly stop, it goes into that state of chaos. You know, it doesn't yeah. want to.
0: Do. This so is interesting, actually. People I think say it is that. something yeah. like, you
1: know, in your coaching, I'm sure yeah. your thing is about, you know, gradual change. Yes you know so this is what we again follow in Ayurveda
0: so but of
1: course you know even when that gradual change needs to take place it needs to be how can I say uh, well organized in a way Mm. so it's not that you know if I see that yes there's too much heat in the body and they shouldn't eat meat so I'll start saying that okay fine avoid red meat avoid certain heating foods and when they get used to that then I'll say okay fine now you can start avoiding poultry and chicken when they get used to that then I might say okay fine now you can stop fish so it's that gradual change that they're looking into so again it's a different kind of coaching mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> but yes. from, a, from a, a more Ayurvedic point of view where of you know course. like you are looking into that individual specifically
0: yeah. yeah so that's actually quite a good segue into food because food <clears throat> plays a huge part in Ayurveda doesn't it mm-hmm. And I know that I've seen some people that I follow and they've recently done like kitchery de- detoxes, you know, for like five days, seven days, that's all they're eating. Now, growing up on kitchery, kitchery is medicine food. It's when it's food, that, the way I know it is you're given kitchery when you're sick, when you're not feeling well, because it's comfortable for the stomach to process. So when I see people eating it day in, day out for a five-day cleanse, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like you're going to get sick of it. So there's two things here. One is, what role does food play in Ayurveda? And then the second one, I think, after you've explained the seriousness of the role that food plays, I think then we'll go into sort of talking about some of these misconceptions. And because the misconceptions can actually end up harming you rather than doing the good that you think it's going to do.
1: Um, Yep. In Ayurveda, we say that You are what you eat. Okay. Literally. Okay. And meaning, you know, the best way of explaining that is like, let's say if you've been eating a lot of spicy food over a few days, weeks, and you automatically feel a bit irritable, a bit impatient. If you eat a lot of, uh, heavy cold foods again you feel a bit heavy, a okay. bit slow you know so yeah. you will see that whatever that you eat your responses are accordingly. So for us of course you know we look into food not as food but it is again more medicine. Okay. And having said that in Ayurveda there is again another saying that Ayurveda begins from your kitchen. Okay. Meaning anything that you see in your kitchen cabinet, be it spices or foods, vegetables, fruits, Mm -hmm. they all can be turned into medicine based on how you're looking to use it. Okay. So for us, food plays a very big role because one thing, of course, you know, diverting a bit over here, you will see that nowadays... When we talk about fasting, mm. people are thinking about food fasting. That is what we always think. Okay, fine, I'm going to fast. Oh, so the conception is, oh yeah, that means a person is going to be eating for those two, three days. Mm-hmm. They may be drinking you know, fluids, water, whatever. Yeah. But interestingly, in Ayurveda and yoga, when we say fasting, it's not necessarily food. The moment you we use the term fasting, we say it is withdrawing your five sensory functions from the outside desires. Oh. But then, because the age that we are in, you know, we say we are in the age of darkness. It is believed that it is very difficult to control these sensory functions or desires. But what is the most easiest to control if we could? And that is what goes into the mouth, you know, it's food. But then again, it's not really easy. It's quite difficult. Mm. Because in Ayurveda, again, there's a saying that, you know, just the way the earth revolves around the sun, Mm -hmm. our own lives revolve around our digestive Mm fires or it is our hunger or appetite. Again, again, going into a bit of, you know, our Vedic philosophy, you must have heard these big epics like, you know, Ramayana and Mahabharata. Yes, yes, me. Yes, of course. Yes. And in that it has been written that uh, there are three things in life a man or a woman will fight for or a war will begin. First of all, it's food. Mm -hmm. Because the second is woman. And the third is sleep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, meaning, yes. but again in that again we put food first because yeah. without food we can't
0: live right
1: you will see that whenever it's interesting in today's day and age the food is our first point of contact no matter what uh-huh. when we are happy oh yes let's celebrate let's go it's eat true. food yeah it's true Or oh, I'm alone I'm at home I'm depressed oh let's go eat food I'm really stressed I don't know what to do at work I'm going to eat food mm-hmm. oh my child is eating food I'm going to eat food mm-hmm. you know so ultimately our Point of contact, which is easiest, Mm -hmm. is food. Why is that? Uh, Because, again, in Ayurveda, there is a saying that, see, you know, we being human beings, our first point of contact when we are sad, depressed, or happy or anything is actually another human being you know uh-huh. that is what it is that means if I'm feeling really unhappy I want to talk to someone uh-huh. you know because that is how you get that love you know that, that concern back saying oh don't worry everything will be fine right. and everything yeah. but in our today's day and age because our lives have become so solitary yes. we don't really live in those big families that we used to once upon a time or you know like yes. you, you had your cousins your uncle's aunts yeah. or on the same there. streets yeah, lot, exactly, sort
0: of like, yeah. something that I was talking to my husband about recently because we had come into this year and we were like "But do you know what now it's time to live like we've been working so hard we're just doing 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 and yes we still want to buy a new house and yes we want to move to spain and we want to do this we want to do that but whilst we're doing that we can still live we can still enjoy our lives and we we set out both of us a goal for this year it was like our relationship is cool we have a solid foundation we love each other we enjoy each other we communicate we we're, we're okay let's spend more of our free time because we have very little of it, obviously, right? But let's spend more of our free time with the people that we enjoy, people, our friends that we grew up with, our cousins, our family. We're just not doing it because we all live so far away in so many different places. And by the time it's your day off, the last thing you want to do is travel for an hour and a half to go somewhere and then children. And, you know, there's just so many things. But when we grew up, our friends were pretty much on the street or a couple of streets away. It's a very, very different world that we live in. You're right. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, of course, you know, so going back to that point, if I don't find someone else to talk to, mm. under any such circumstances, it is believed that what is the first point of contact that will give us that love, affection and care, and that is food. we uh-huh. so that when you eat food, you feel more calm, more settled, uh-huh. no matter what food. It might be something sweet. It might be crisp. doesn't matter. It is satisfying that desire in here. And that's the reason why you know you will see that of course we're talking about food, why food is so important. Mm. Uh it's like if you don't get anything else or anyone else to talk to, your first point of contact for love is food. And having said that, again in Ayurveda, we too say, two things you never do alone or by yourself is eat alone or have alcohol alone. Yeah. (laughs) Two things never by yourself because when you're with someone else, even when you're eating, you know, if you've got something going through your mind, you'll talk about it. Yes. Same thing with alcohol. Okay. You know, so, in fact, that is a rule that we follow at home anyways. We don't eat alone. We don't, don't drink alcohol alone. But that is how important, again, food is for mm-hmm. us. Because our lives revolve around it. It's not the other way around. Sometimes that that is how it should be, mm-hmm. where we say... Yes, I eat because I need that bit of food to sustain energy. Now this is the other way around. Okay. We are living to eat.
0: So are you you've sort of adapted it then, I guess, Ayurvedically in your practice to to the way we consume food now is, is different to that sort of medicinal yeah uh, um,
1: of course even now in my practice and when I'm teaching I still go back to the, the kind of you know foundation knowledge of Ayurveda yeah. you know, food is medicine mm-hmm. so even when students are there and when they are sitting there alone eating I tell them no you can't be sitting here you need to go out talk to your friends or oh. you know you can't be looking into your phone or whatever because in that way are becoming more solitary Okay. more you know within yourself yes. so rather than getting that stress out mm-hmm. you are actually internalizing it mm-hmm. so it doesn't help okay. but yeah food no matter what type of food but how you eat it and what circumstances you eat it is very important okay
0: so that affects how it goes into mm-hmm. your body and and what it does inside you yeah. and and the I guess what if you are eating solitary I'm going to assume that it would cause more stress within yeah. you
1: and, a, or you, know, you start thinking more right and yeah. that thinking process mm-hmm. let's say I'm eating food by myself and mm-hmm. something small like oh I didn't pay those two bills oh yes 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 and you don't know, has pass that you know last date of yeah. payment and I'm sitting there thinking, Oh my god, I need to pay and because of that that heat, if you want to call it, rises up in the nervous system. But then mm. that affects the endocrine system where it becomes overactive.
0: Oh gosh. So then
1: that affects the digestive system and then more production of let's you know hydrochloric acid or enzymes where it should not be, you know, yes. like things need to start regulating. And that is how then you will see that when people eat under stressful conditions, then they tendency is mostly towards high blood pressure or gastric ulcers, duodenal mm. ulcers, even high cholesterol because body gets confused. You know, it's time to digest, be calm, but there's so much kind of you know, pressure or stress on the liver, on the gallbladder, you know, then high cholesterol. It's like it starts affecting so
0: many different things. It's, uh, it's fascinating. I look forward to your book, which you can plug at the end yeah. of the show, which will <laughs> explain a lot of this. So... Thank you for that explanation. I think that really makes a lot of sense with regards to food and how Ayurveda perceives food and the importance of it and how we're obviously using it today is very different to the way we, I guess, in inverted commas, should be using it. But just moving forward a little bit, back to some more preconceptions. So, in in Ayurvedic terms, should you be vegetarian? Should you be vegan? Should you not eat meat? Should you eat drink alcohol? I think there is there is a preconception that you should be vegan and that you shouldn't drink alcohol and like literally all fun in your life must go. And I guess that almost puts people off from seeking out the practice. Yeah. First
1: of all, both, not just in Ayurveda, but even in yoga,
0: mm-hmm. we do not have the principle
1: of veganism. Right. And maybe there are many people out there listening for what I say, but everyone knows that I'll say exactly what Ayurveda talks about. Yeah. Of course, in Ayurveda, we do talk about being vegetarian. Uh I'm not saying no to that, but vegan, definitely not.
0: So what does being vegetarian mean?
1: Vegetarian is literally, you know, eating vegetables or whatever, but along with that, some milk or dairy. Uh You know, meaning you're not cutting out dairy out from uh, your food because for us in Ayurveda, ghee, clarified butter is very important in terms of cleansing, detox, but even milk is quite nourishing because ultimately it helps to nourish the bones, the nerves, hair nails skin Mm -hmm. and you will see that i'm not saying that a person should not be vegan Mm -hmm. but never suddenly turn into it okay because because you're talking about you know what are the principles in ayurveda first of all when it comes to food even when it comes to meat in ayurveda we don't look at meat as food but we look at meat as medicine oh very important okay
0: so how does that work
1: Uh, It's from the point, let's say, meaning you don't eat meat just because you like the taste. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, I want to have three eggs today, four eggs tomorrow. It's not out of your desire. Mm -hmm. You're eating meat because the body needs. So let's say, you know, children, they will need meat because they're growing. They need that kind of, you know, protein metabolism in the body. Oh, probably, you know, like uh, maybe post-operative phase, you know, where are people going through illnesses or yeah. you know, older people, where the body really needs it. And that protein cannot be found in plant food? No, it's not that it can't be found. Mm-hmm. So based on that, then and I was going to be talking about my next thing. See, be, see, uh, Ayurveda looks into geography, you know, your uh-huh. local living conditions. Yeah. And you will see that now, of course, India uh, as a country predominantly is vegetarian mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily for religion or a customs or tradition, but it is the weather out there. Right. It is so hot and humid over there, we can't eat meat every day, you know, unlike where people can do it over here. So that means, yes, I remember when I was growing up, I come from a meat-eating background and I used to say, yes, I'm a non-vegetarian, but... All that we had was lamb once every two weeks mm-hmm. or chicken once every two weeks. So literally, you know, like every 14 days, not every day. But even with that, we said, you know, I eat meat.
0: So if it's a hot, if, so as you say, the climate in the country, like in India, you can't eat meat. What happens to inside yeah. your body if you eat meat in a hot country?
1: Uh, yeah, see what happens because it's, it is so hot and humid over there, the uh, heat inside the body, like you know, there's already excess heat in the body. Uh-huh. If I were to continue eating meat in India, every Day, i'll start suffering from skin conditions boils ulcers high blood pressure uh certain types of diabetes mm-hmm. or even gastric ulcers so that is what meat does because meat is heating okay you know? but on the other hand in colder countries mm. first of all you don't see a lot of sun sun is only three four months a year maybe or maybe even two yeah. or three months yeah that means we can't really grow a lot of vegetables out here mm. you know that's not possible but the other uh thing also to remember is it's so cold out here we need that first-class protein from animals to help right. sustain the body. Okay. You know, so it's that way that, and hence you will see that colder countries, they eat more meat. Mm-hmm. In hot and humid countries, they don't. So even when you look into India itself, yeah, all the South Indian states, they are vegetarian. Right. All the North Indian states, be it Punjab, a bit of Rajasthan, you know, Kashmir, all yes, those, yes. they eat meat because it's cold. Okay, you know, they yeah. need that sustenance mm-hmm. through meat.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people listening will sort of resonate with that, even just in a very, very basic example. Mm-hmm. When you go on holiday, and we tend to go to warm places, don't we? We don't actually eat as much as we would normally eat at home, don't, do we? Mm-hmm. And we're quite surprised that we can sustain ourselves mm-hmm. on maybe two light salads, in The day, whereas at home we'd be eating you know three meals plus three snacks and you know something yeah, just true. before bed, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, so when you uh, so going from there
1: to understand, so don't we get you know uh, vegetarian source proteins? Yes, we do, mm-hmm. like you know, through lentils and dal and everything, but that is more for the hot and humid countries, right? But then, uh, coming back to the thing about can a person become vegetarian or become vegan, that is where I tell everyone now that depends on your ancestral DNA memory. And your
0: body oh this is interesting meaning
1: let's say i come from india mm-hmm. but i'm a meat eating person once every two weeks that means somewhere in my dna code it has been embedded oh yes you know this individual or this clan or this you know where i come from mm-hmm. there is some meat every two weeks and because the body is so used to it the memory is in there if i were to suddenly stop eating meat or even become vegan the body gets confused because it does not know. Oh, but, you know, that is what the memory says in the DNA. And what does
0: that look like? What does that confusion look like to the body? No, see,
1: then the body starts reacting. For example, it might show up in the physical changes where, you know, the body becomes weak, there may be tremors, there may be insomnia, depending upon, you know, what you've stopped eating or sure. you haven't eaten. It's not just for what it is now. Mm-hmm. I also tell everyone the mistake everyone is doing nowadays in turning vegan or suddenly t- turning vegan or vegetarian is They're just thinking about themselves today. Right. So let's say I've been eating meat, let's say two, three, every two, three days, because that is what my family has done, Mm -hmm. because I come from, I don't know, Finland, Sweden, like, no, some very Mm -hmm. old Mm -hmm. country. But then from there, if I suddenly start eating only vegetarian food every day, yes. For the first two, three years, I want to tell the whole world, yes, I feel great, I feel light, I feel good. But they don't understand that the effect is not just for those two, three years or today. Whatever I'm doing now Mm -hmm. will actually affect me in 10 or 15 years' time. Okay. That means I might not see changes now, but in five, six years, yes, my hair will start falling because you know there's not enough you know like protein or that kind of calcium, let's say through milk okay. or my bones will become weak. Mm. And then then I'll start wondering, but why am I feeling so weak I eat a healthy diet? Yes. see healthy diet depends on your geographical background not just because they say that yes in india you can have what mangoes in march april may that means mangoes in march april may will be good here too because you know it's a different geography
0: yes yes the
1: same thing with the body and eating meat
0: so that's interesting that you say that about um when you make those very drastic lifestyle food diet changes and then you could see the 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 negative effects or the harmful effects of it later down the line but the agenda here at the moment with those who are suddenly becoming vegan is that they will take the supplements instead. Mm-hmm. So they'll take, you know, they'll get their multivitamins or their specific vitamins that they need for this. And what are your views on supplements? See,
1: uh, nothing wrong with supplements mm-hmm. if the body really needs them. But again, the moment you talk about, start talking about supplements, mm-hmm. the way I put it across is that the internal system becomes lazy. For example, oh, you know, okay, meaning yes, yes. when I'm eating, let's say spinach. Mm-hmm. Spinach has got natural iron in it. So mm-hmm. if I were to eat natural spinach, or let's say even red meat, you know, it has got natural iron yes. in it. You know, so I'm giving both examples, a vegetarian and a meat related. Yeah. But the way it gets digested in the gut, the gut or the body starts working towards, you know, getting that food out. You know, mm. it's not that oh yes, I put taken that pure iron straighter. The body says, I don't need to do anything because that's, you know, iron is there. I'm just going to absorb it. Okay. That means that internal, if you want to call it tissue laziness starts right. setting in.
0: yeah.
1: So that means at times when they were to actually eat food with those supplements in it, then the body might say, oh, but what do I do with it? Yeah. Because it has lost the memory. Oh
0: my gosh. I don't know how to put it. If, you know, see, I totally we hear are, you.
1: Yeah. Our bodies are made the way they are for a reason. A reason, reason yes. I'm not saying no to supplements, Mm -hmm. but it is only when the body really, really needs it. Whereby, let's say someone is so weak that the person does not have enough energy even to digest food. You know, where there's, okay, fine, we need quick change. It is needed. But if you're healthy, if you're strong. And when I say healthy, you don't even have to be completely healthy, Mm. normal, average healthy. Let the body work. Yes. Because if the body becomes lazy, that means the nervous system becomes lazy. That means it is leading to that aging process.
0: So it's 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 another moment that we're connecting on because my, my son, he was born premature. He was born at 30 weeks, so it was sort of at seven months. And when he was born, he spent his first two months of life in hospital. And, you know, that was all very stressful. And he had to be given vitamins when he left the hospital right so he had to take um, oral vitamins and that was fine he was only having milk and unfortunately I wasn't producing enough milk myself so he had to have the synthetic milk product and as soon as we were able to give him Animal milk. I chose to give him goat's milk as opposed to cow's milk. I sort of went to my roots, and I don't know where it came from, but as I was doing the research, it was goat's milk was showing up as the closest to human milk. And because I wasn't able to do it for me, it was very important to give him the best possible start I could. And that's what he drank and still drinks today. He loves his milk. He's he's very Indian in that. He's a mixed race child, but he's very Indian. He likes it in the morning and did in the evening. But he has always had, since then, when he stopped taking those vitamins, I pushed the agenda of food as fuel and you're going to get your nutrients from food. And he has a very clean diet. We don't say no to anything. When he's ready to try something that's processed or whatever and he want, he's curious, so he asks me, mummy, can I have a biscuit? What's daddy eating? Can I have a biscuit? Then we give it to him, but we don't sort of... Here's a bag of sweets, Mike. I eat it. You know, we've never been that those parents, and we've noticed that he will tell us what deficiency he's got in his body based on what he wants to eat. So he might come to me in the day and he'll say, "Mummy, I want a snack," and I'm like, "Sure, what would you like?" And he'll think about it and he'll say, I want grapes or he'll say, I want cheese or he's very specific or raisins or whatever. And, you know, and I look at him and I can see, OK, yes, he's he's been at mum's. So he's eaten a lot of dal and lentils and things. So he probably wants something a little bit lighter. So it's interesting to see how because he's a new human being to see it actually come to life. And I see how food affects him so Recently, the reason, the point of this story, his nails were coming off and there was sort of, it was very odd, very random. And we, I, I sort of straight away went to holistic research. I went into the Ayurvedic side and it was saying iron was the main factor. I considered his diet and I thought, actually, yes, iron could be because the most iron he's getting is from spinach and there's not much in spinach. And I'm, you'd have to give him a lot of spinach to get enough of the iron to help him with that. So then I thought, okay, what else can I give him? And I went to beef. I thought, okay, a quick shot of beef, almost because it's not a regular food I give him, um, or lamb. It, it, th- those aren't regular foods. And so just I just added in a meal a week for the past month that was beef and or lamb, and it's it's had the effect. And his because his body is that's his, that's like you say the DNA the the imprint. His body has gone. Yes, that's where I get my nutrients from, from food. So I've got it now. I've got the iron that was missing. I fixed your nails. All is right in the world. And I literally have seen this in the last four weeks happen. It's it's fascinating. It must be for you as well, right? When yeah. you see it with clients. Yeah, right?
1: no, yeah that small tweak where... People are expecting me to tell them, no, yes, you have to become vegetarian or you have to do this. And I tell them, actually, no, not just about being vegetarian. Even when it comes to alcohol, I tell them, you don't have to stop it. But, you know, you might need to make a bit of a tweak, a change in terms of what type of alcohol you drink. Mm -hmm. And likewise, you know, you're still enjoying life. And yet you're seeing that improvement in your health. So in Ayurveda, we do not have a complete... Yes or no situation, Mm -hmm. meaning we're always doing things based on that individual's lifestyle or, as I say, you know, their background, their Mm. ethnicity. And accordingly, we are kind of putting a plan together. So going going back to, you know, all these misconceptions, if you want to call it, of course, you know, in Ayurveda... uh, for meat for us is medicine mm-hmm. yes you can be vegetarian or even vegan if they want to but it has to be a very slow process right and the way I tell people about this is yes you know if you want to turn you can't from eating meat to suddenly turn vegan you need to have that you know that general very kind of you know gradual crossover to becoming first vegetarian and then vegan right and even with that I tell them if you're eating meat every day then make sure that once a week one day is a no meat day. Uh-huh. You know, so let the body get used to it yeah. then you change to a, to a day a week no meat day then three days four days and then slowly you're changing yeah so and it's a from, bit more yeah. informed so and it it's gradual the body yeah. is getting used to it but suddenly from 100 to 0 you know body can't take it
0: yeah
1: so in Ayurveda everything is Ayurvedic be it meat be it lamb be it alcohol be it um, even being vegan nothing wrong with it because Amish um, must have seen that you know, so many times when we cook Indian like you know food at home you might cook like you know, dal, rice, chapatis and maybe a vegetarian. True. Yeah. But there is no key, there's nothing in it. Yes, yes yes. That means in Ayurveda yes you can have vegan days mm-hmm. but Ayurveda is not vegan. Sounds
0: fabulous. <laughs> this is really good. I mean oh my god we could talk for so long on this the whole topic is just so obviously it's massive isn't it. Um, I think just because of time let's move on to my favorite topic in this whole genre is yoga Mm -hmm. what is yoga what is really yoga
1: See, just like Ayurveda, mm-hmm. yoga is once again a way of life. Right. The way we generally put it across, of course, you know, when people talk about yoga, they're thinking about yoga positions and breathing. You know, yes. that is yes. the thing that comes yes. to our mind. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about it, comparing it to Ayurveda, we say Ayurveda is for the body and yoga is for the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, so that is how we look into it. That means... Through Ayurvedic principles, you're bringing changes in the physical side. Uh-huh. Physical side can be even like you know, maybe vision, eyes, whatever. Yeah. But from yoga, you're literally bringing change in your attitude, your mind, mm-hmm. and the, your outlook towards everything. But then again, we in Ayurveda, the way we look into or in yoga, we say that... Just suddenly bringing a change in the mind is not possible. You know, right. Let's say if I say, yes, I want to lose weight over the next 10 days. Mm. Mind will say, oh, yeah, let's try and do it. But it is not always possible because you need that determination. Mm-hmm. So though, And hence what yoga has put together is so, so that you can bring changes in the mind, you need to start bringing changes in the body. And that's the reason why you will see that whenever we talk about yoga practice, Mm -hmm. we always start with, you know, physical practice like positions, like sun salutations or warrior pose and everything. Mm -hmm. Because yoga says that until and unless you cannot control or discipline your physical body, you cannot discipline or, you know, control your breathing. So you will see that it is only after physical uh, practice we do breathing exercises. Oh, wow. You know, so once you've done the physical activity, then breathing because then it becomes easy to control your breath.
0: This is really interesting. I mean, we we could talk for hours on this. I, I have personal bugbears, as you know, and, you know, I'm very vocal and opinionated about it. But it's because there's a disconnect for me. When I see these practices, which have all come from Ayurveda, from yoga, for me, when I see it, I'm like, you can't use it in a silo. So those who... So I'm not against you taking up any of these practices that come from the philosophy. So like breathwork, meditation, yoga, etc. I'm not against that. But if you can't connect the dots as to why breathwork helps and how it helps, and at what point in your self-development journey, breathwork is going to help then you're never really going to see the effects of it. You'll see it for that hour that you're there doing class, but that's it because you don't know how to apply it to your personal life, which is obviously going to be different to the other six people in the class with you. Same with yoga, like when people go to this one hour class, 90 minute class, and they feel really satisfied. Oh, I did a headstand and things like that, that very surface level stuff. It's like, but then how are you now taking that into your everyday? Because that is what you're supposed to be gaining from that class. It doesn't mean I go to yoga, therefore I am. There is obviously. Yeah, absolutely, you know, that's correct, you know, so it's, and hence, you know, it's not, not as you said, not just doing
1: that one hour of practice, mm. but how have you taken anything that you've learned from that one hour, mm-hmm. and you've applied it into your next six days, until mm-hmm. you come back for the next class, mm-hmm. you yeah? know, so that is also one thing, and that is where we say, unless you can't control your body, you can't control your breath, and it is believed that if you can't control discipline, your breath, mm-hmm. you cannot control your thoughts,
0: oh, you wow. know, so are taking
1: it one level further, and that is where meditation comes okay. you know so first body controlling the body disciplining the body then disciplining the breath and then disciplining the mind because it is believed that our expressions through the five sensory functions mm-hmm. but where do those expressions come from comes from the mind which is in there, you know, it's thinking mm-hmm. so when I'm happy I'm smiling mm-hmm. when I'm really sad I'm crying you know when I'm really irritated I'm yelling that means it is the mind that is controlling those thoughts then ultimately it's controlling your outlook mm-hmm. towards what is happening around you
0: this is again, super interesting talking about mental health. Yeah. So I had depression a few years, uh, not a few years ago now, but long, a, a while ago now. And it was something that was said to me a lot about getting outside, getting outside, getting outside physically being physically in a separ- in a different place and things like that and as, as you're speaking i was just hearing because there's a lot of memes and things on social media i saw a recent one saying is about mental health saying that you know you say to to me that i should go outside when i'm not feeling good but it's not as simple as that and it's like well it's no no it's not as simple as that but you can see where now where the link is because i think a lot of information we consume in the west is very in a silo There's no link to it. There's no, you know, to find the scientific backup as to why that is the case is is very lacking and therefore people don't do things informed and then they can't sustain it and then yes it doesn't work but like you're saying there if 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 it's body first then breath then mind somebody is depressed you have to physically control your physical body first before you can get to the mind so the mind is almost the last as you're saying is the last place to actually get the therapy that it needs Because you can't control.
1: Yeah. See, of course, you know, on one hand, it is because you're trying to control the mind, but we can't easily do the mind. So what is the best, easiest approach through Mm -hmm. the body? Mm -hmm. Because you'll see that I might still be depressed or unhappier, but if someone says, no, just walk up and down the stairs 20 times, I can easily do it. But if someone says, no, just smile 20 times, I can't. Right. I mean, you know, physically, we are able to start able to bring those changes Mm -hmm. then which will ultimately affect the mind
0: and does that have something to do with hormones as well you know everything okay
1: see when we say literally when we say physical activity yes i know it's literally going back whole circle yes so even when i have to sit here saying okay fine i need to move Mm -hmm. but where is that thought coming from still coming from the mind you know it's like you're going that full circle yes even though you don't realize you're still starting that first trigger point in the mind saying, I need to move
0: so this is interesting as somebody who has fluctuated with weight a lot so this is where you have to lead from your I guess your heart almost mm-hmm. to want to physically move so that you can lose weight this is a very simplistic mm-hmm. example I'm giving but mm-hmm is that sort of, does that sound like how it would sort of work? Because I know that as when you're overweight, you do struggle with a lot of this. Oh, I can do this. Yes, I can plan my meals and I can do that. And then I'll exercise on this day at this time. And I, I'll do that. Oh, I do like swimming as well. So I might just add swimming and we do all this. And like you say, it's all in the mind, but come the day to do it, well, the motivation, the physical and It's funny because in my practice, and this is something that I do a lot for myself, is every movement counts. And by just that little phrase, I'll do the extra walk. Mm -hmm. I'll walk that little bit extra. And I'm literally like, it's extra steps, you know, like counting on my Fitbit. And just that little bit. Gets me to my 10,000 steps a day, which is meaning that I'm not gaining any weight. And that was important for me this year, not to gain weight. I want to lose it, but I know that there's a lot more. I have to get out of my head at the moment for that. But by doing that very simple thing, like you say, just physically doing it, it's starting the process. So I make conscious, more conscious decisions when it comes to let's go out for dinner And then it's like, okay, well, we could do afternoon tea. But then I think, no, afternoon tea is too much food, actually. So let's go for dinner and I can have more control then of what I'm consuming. So fascinating. So coming
1: back to it, in Ayurveda and, of course, in yoga... Us, movement is very important, mm-hmm. you know. Air movement, literally. Okay, so even in yoga, now when we say air movement, it's just not physical movement or breath movement, mm-hmm. but how you control your thought movement process. Oh. You know, because when you're thinking, there's movement in the mind, it so matter. ultimately, beat Ayurveda yoga healthy physical mental emotional movement or Mm -hmm. activity Mm -hmm. now one thing of course you did ask so what is yoga you know of course yoga is all about controlling the mind but as i also said yoga is also your attitude Mm -hmm. so more than anything else Mm -hmm. it is your outlook your attitude towards things Mm -hmm. for example yes you know people say yes i'm a yoga teacher i practice yoga i wake up 5 30 in the morning i do my physical practice yes i'm vegan i'm vegetarian i might do this i might do that and all of that But then I remember my professor, my teacher in India, he said a person may wake up at 5.30 in the morning, do their physical practice. They might not eat onions or garlic or they may be in headstand for 30 minutes and everything. But ultimately, when that person goes to the office and because something is going wrong, if they start yelling and shouting at someone else, everything else is not yoga. Wow. Meaning, you know, it's not for what you do, saying I'm in that meditation pose or sun silitation. All of that is no, it doesn't matter at all. If, when it is really needed, how did you react in that situation?
0: Wow, I'm so that glad said, yoga. <laughs> I'm so glad you've just backed up because obviously when I'm when I'm talking, I sound very opinionated, and I don't mean to be, but I'm very much you know just 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 be informed about the things that you do. You know, this is it's it's a form of respect to an ancient practice that isn't from your heritage and things like that. That's, I think that's where I get my bit of my bugbear. I don't like I say I don't have a problem with anybody embracing these uh, therapies, but. Do them with some information, understand what they understand what it means to be yogic really you know when you see people calling themselves yogis and stuff it's like, well darling, you know you don't live the yogic philosophy. <laughs> you can't <laughs> call yourself a yogi you know Just
1: like yourself even I'm very opinionated yeah. <laughs> and all my students know it and I in fact the other day I was like you know reading something and from a few weeks ago several months ago you know a few Mm. kind of information put together I read online where people say they are Ayurveda experts Yogi experts or Uh whatever then when they when you read their articles I'm sorry, this is my opinion now. Free, free. Uh, they, but they have no idea what a faulty food combination is ah, in Ayurveda.
0: Right. Or
1: be it in yoga, when you're saying, you know, do nasal wash, what it really is. Yes. So, again, you know, going back to your point, you know, yeah. like if you are looking to follow, mm. then yes, follow it. As, and hence, I call myself an Ayurveda or yoga enthusiast. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, I teach, I talk, I do consultations, but I can't call myself as an expert, you know, myself. Mm-hmm. I know many people say, no... Dr. Deepa, yes, you're the expert. And I say, no, I'm still learning mm-hmm. because every day I'm learning something
0: new. Yes. But on the contrary, I see all of these people out there putting themselves as experts. And that in itself falls into yogic philosophy, doesn't it? That you are always learning, yeah. that you are never complete. So I, I was having a little chat with somebody yesterday, a very young person. And she was like, "I, I don't know my identity. I need my identity. And I said, but you are you. And yeah. she's like, Yes, but I need I need to put myself in a box. And it's like no, you're you're 23. You need to live. You don't know who you are. You're never really going to know who you are, and you know, and, and, until the end of time, because that's not what life is about. And you're always going to change. Life is dynamic as things happen to you as you live through experiences. Your your person is going to change, and it's up to you how you want to change. Of course, but. It's, it's de- trying to desperately define who she is. And my heart was breaking for her because I was like, oh darling, don't spend time on this. Like you're never going to get that answer. None of us are going to get that answer. Mm-hmm. Just embrace life as a continuous learning process. Everything that happens to you, everything you experience, everything you do, win, fail, whatever, grief, is all an, a learning opportunity. And that is what, that's who you are. You are somebody who is always learning and it, it does it absolutely correct yeah
1: you know so as you said either putting themselves in boxes or calling themselves certain names mm. or even going back to the whole thing about you know yoga experts yes at the moment mm. even they use that term there is ego and it is the ah, exact
0: opposite Very of what yoga is mm.
1: in yoga we say when you start practicing yoga you have to let go of your ego no attachment you're detaching yourself to everything mm-hmm. but on the contrary if you if you start putting such terms mm. then as you say you know your whole journey of learning mm-hmm. you, you're not there yet you yeah. know meaning the moment you start putting yourself up there you're not really following yoga because you're saying, Yes, you know, I studied, yes, I've gone to that point, but Mm. still I'm done, here because I still need to achieve more. And same thing about when people say they they have this need to put them into a box. It's like an ego, you know, it's that ego related Mm. thing. Because they the moment we say identity Mm. in yoga we use this one term called ahankar, you know, ahankar, ahankar. Over there aham meaning I and kara meaning am. So it's that I am feeling Mm -hmm. that Natural, I am feeling is very essential for our survival. Right. But then beyond that, it turns into that you know uh, cultivated ego, which is arrogance. Mm. And that is where sometimes it happens, where people say they want to be put it into put themselves into certain boxes or that quality of identity. That why the identity because they need their ego to be up there, right? You know, to have that thing. So
0: fascinating. Again, <laughs> another topic we can talk about forever. The Uh, Other last thing I wanted to ask you, turmeric lattes, (laughs) tell (laughs) me about them, because this is how we actually connected, wasn't it? There was a post on social media that you put, and I have been waxing lyrical about turmeric lattes, like to anyone and everyone who will listen to me, because I'm like, this is, uh, no, no, this is like Benelin, it's like literally drinking... A, a bottle of benelin and you, if you drink it every day, it's not actually going to have the effect. And, and you know, like a lot of things, I'll say something and I like to back it up. So now this time you are my backup for this. <laughs> Explain the whole, obviously, you know, whenever there's a capitalist opportunity for a trend and a fad that's going to happen, we know that.
1: So, you know, whenever there's a trend of fad, when it happens, and those other people out there, they talk about, let's say, now term latte, I understand, you know they're doing it because they want to be on the trending. Oh yes, I'm, I'm having this term latte. Yes. It's okay, but when I see all these, now I'm going to laugh about it. Ayurvedic experts yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> putting
1: it up there, and right. then term latte, then I think no. But have you really studied? Do you really know what Ayurveda is when it comes to such things? Mm. Of course, we didn't. We actually don't have any latte like system or science in Ayurveda. Yes, we have turmeric milk mm-hmm. where we just literally heat up uh you know maybe boil of course you know some yes. turmeric then put a bit of turmeric maybe a bit of ghee or you know other things in it but then maybe have it maybe in the evening or in the morning first of all only if you think you're going to be coming down with a flu or fever or you know you're going to be falling ill probably mm-hmm. for that or then on the other hand is like you know with Milk, turmeric, and ghee is for children or pregnant women if they think they're going to be a bit constipated. You know, so that is, as you say, it's a medicine, no? It's literally a therapy. Something similar to khichdi, you know, as you said, Mm -hmm. we eat khichdi only when that one day of fasting or when you're not well, because Mm -hmm. these are the things that are then giving that energy to the body saying, you know, I know you need to rest, so I'm just going to give you a bit of this extra nourishment so that when you get better, Mm -hmm. you don't need to have it anymore. And coming back to
0: lattes, what is a latte? It is frothed milk. Ah, oh, okay. You know, that is what they're doing, isn't it? And like then frothy milk. When it's frothy milk, it changes the constitution as it goes into yeah, your see, body. Yeah,
1: see, for us, milk is vata or dryness reducing. So it's, it is warming, it uh-huh. is nourishing, it's lubricating. Mm-hmm. But along with that, when you're taking in that froth, which is air,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that means you're actually bringing vata or air out of balance.
0: Ah. You know,
1: it's like when you're looking both Yeah, ways. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So you just have hot milk Brilliant. with turmeric. Um, I will be, yes, that is Ayurvedic, But <laughs> as you say, you know, don't try to modernize Ayurveda by using Ayurved these terms. You right. know, the way they're trying to. Do. Not that Ayurveda cannot be modern, yes. but certain things have to be. You know, respected and put where they are Yeah, otherwise no, they're not
0: going good. to work If they don't follow the, the teachings They're not actually going to work yeah, yeah. Like we say, it's, you, can, you can go to yoga class But if you don't follow the principles of yoga philosophy Then yeah. the class is only going to do what it does for 60 minutes It's not going to do anything more to mm. your life you're, you're training your brain to think it is But really it's, it's not actually having the effect it would have mm. Or what you're, what you're hoping for it to have Okay. I think we'll leave it there because there's a, there's a whole other show and if you want if you want more you can join our workshop on the 18th of April. And what I'd like you to perhaps share with the listeners I think because you know, none of us are perfect. I think that's fair to say that none of us are perfect. Like you say, you 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 don't feel comfortable to call yourself an expert yet, whereas I'm very comfortable to call you an expert. But you're an expert compared to me, for instance, in that. And I understand you're humbling there. So, what what do you do in your life? Maybe t- three top three things that you do every single day that keeps you balanced, happy whatever it is to you that you need in your day to keep you going
1: Uh, first of all food food okay (laughs) Um, you see based on my constitution and the way I am I eat only once a day. Okay. Around five or six in the evening because mm-hmm. I know that is the time that suits me best mm-hmm. and even for my constitution. If I were to have breakfast and then lunch and then dinner, mm-hmm. I know that would bring me completely out of balance. Mm-hmm. So even when I, say I eat once a day, not because I I don't starve for the rest of the day. I genuinely am not hungry. Mm-hmm. So what Ayurveda says is eat only when you really feel hungry. And that hunger You need to feel in the stomach, Mm -hmm. not in your mouth or on your tongue, where when someone starts talking about food, you know, you feel oh Oh, yeah that is false hunger Mm. true hunger comes from the stomach literally you 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 actually feel it oh okay Okay. so that is one thing that i do i eat once a day because Mm -hmm. i know that is more than enough for me Mm -hmm. and then that also helps me with my metabolic processes my sleep you know everything so that Mm -hmm. is one thing the other thing that i will definitely do every day is take some ayurvedic herbs like you know some herbs that help me like Trifla or turmeric, you know, there's like two, three herbs that mm-hmm. I take every day. That mm-hmm. is the second important thing. I do a lot of other things, but I'm trying to see you know, things from a more everyday basis, just not the physical side, but the mind side is also mm-hmm. important. And hence, from that point of view, I make sure that I spend some time with my son. Because Aww. he's 14 years old now, yeah. but as and when I can, ever since I was a child, every day, one or two hours. Mm-hmm. Now we've come to that point where he's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. He's a teenager. But we are still in the living room and you know uh he might be on his laptop doing his work but i'm on my laptop on my side but there's some television going on mm-hmm. and i remember mm-hmm. my son rohan saying the other day that i know we really don't talk for that hour but for me this is like a bonding time you know oh. that feeling of having someone around It's the having someone around. and it's that yeah. happiness that you get out of mm-hmm. it of course that is what i do nowadays with him yes. but i know things keep changing sometimes we might spend an hour two hours just talking about something or he might want to come and help me in cooking so it's that Spending time with someone Oh, yeah, it's my son Because when I go back home yes. That's the kind of time I get with him so that those are the three main things that I would say that really, you know, it's like bringing back that balance, be it physically, emotionally, mentally, these mm-hmm. are you know, the three
0: things. I think that's that's a beautiful way to end the show because we started with the connection and relationships from the start and obviously we've ended with your son. I think that's beautiful. Dr. Deepa, thank you so much for being on the mm-hmm. show. And I really thank you for having it. me on the show too. And yeah, thanks a lot. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for listening to the Self Care 101 podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would subscribe and review so that other people like you can find the show. For more tips and tricks, you can follow me on the socials at Frankly Coaching or visit my website to find out more about my coaching programs and how to work with me at franklycoaching.com.